Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>
Testing. One, two, three, testing. Well, now I can hear you. Okay, we're actually on a hot mic, and I'm going to leave it up to you. I can hear myself talking. Um, I'm not going to switch over because I might lose my ability to hear you. Do you want to go ahead and continue the show as it is? <laughs> or well, do you if want we can to start do what we over? normally do. Sure. Yeah. Let's go ahead, and I'm not going to bother playing the music again. I apologize to everybody for our technical difficulties. We did a beautiful test run the other day, and everything was perfect. I have no idea what's going on, and I apologize and beg your indulgence. But it's now 11-11, so maybe that'll be lucky for us. It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. We appreciate you joining us for the 136th episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Shrink, and I'm going to give him applause for his patience and putting up with all of this stuff. Let me get my sound waves set back up. I apologize so much for this. I appreciate you guys staying with us. All right, ragtag as it is, we are here. We'll be taking calls from our listeners all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. You can follow along in our live chat room and see my hot mess as the show is happening. Uh, So, yes, (laughs) before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. The show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship or legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro, especially the Anglo-Saxon cussing at the computer equipment, and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community, the computer tech community, or anybody's community, (laughs) or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies, and a partridge in a pear tree. Thank you. That's my spiel. Now, we would like to have a topic-relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself, and hopefully this time it will work perfectly. Thank you, and take it away, Doc. for that and do you mind telling us the name of the song and the artist and its relevance to tonight's topic well I don't think anybody has any question that that was Highway to Hell by ACDC off uh, the last <laughs> recording 
with Vaughn Scott, uh, the original vocalist before he uh, perished. Uh, but I thought it was kind of a nice opener since we're going to talk about uh, various behaviors that lead to uh, addictive types of uh, problems. So it's kind of the highway to hell of our escape avoidant behavior, so to speak. Yes, I think that's quite relevant, and thank you for that. So as Dr. Mathis mentions, tonight's episode is entitled The Damage Done, Gateways to Addiction, and there's a nod to Neil Young, and we'll discuss that in a moment. Before we begin our topic discussion, let's first go to the Rock and Roll Shrink Recalls, a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir. Uh, so, on the uh, very recent release of his most latest solo CD, uh, I thought I'd talk a little bit about uh, Ozzy Osbourne and uh, the history of guitar players who have played with him as a solo artist. Uh, and he's had quite a number of them, actually. Um, <clears throat> most people, of course, uh, know Ozzy uh, in terms of him coming onto the music scene. Uh, as the original vocalist of Black Sabbath. And he was with them for many, many years uh, until things got kind of funky and people got very uh, drug abusing and they parted ways. And then uh, his wife, or well, I don't know if she was his wife at the time. She was his manager, uh, Sharon, who eventually married, uh, got him a record deal by putting a band together, and the first guitar player that he had was, of course, uh, Randy Rhodes, who still, I think, to this day is the best guitar player he's ever had. I uh, really, the guy was very uh, groundbreaking in his approach, but his mom was a classical musician teacher, and he had taken classical lessons, so he had a lot of these kind of riffs that he had uh, interfaced in with the rock stuff. So prior to Ozzy, most people probably don't know this, Randy Rhodes was the original guitar player of Quiet Riot. So Carlos Cavazzo was his replacement. And, of course, the commercial Quiet Riot that everybody knows has got Carlos Cavazzo on it. But he did a couple of records with him prior before going to Ozzy. When he was uh, killed untimely in the plane crash, uh, Ozzy was in the middle of a tour and ended up uh, sort of corralling Brad Gillis to fill in. And when he did that, he did all these old Black Sabbath tunes on the Speak of the Devil tour and then did a record, a live record based on that. Uh, most people probably, uh, if they don't know the name Brad Gillis, they know the band he plays with, uh, which he still plays with to this day, uh, and that's Night Ranger. Uh, but that was never intended to be a permanent replacement the replacement he got was Jake E. Lee, who then recorded uh, Bark at the Moon and the Ultimate Sin records with Ozzy. And then they parted ways, I think, due to uh, issues of who wrote what song and whatever. And then when uh, Jake E. Lee left, uh, the guitar player that's been with him pretty much ever since, except with a few hiatuses, is Zach Wilde, uh, who then started in around 88 and has been with him pretty much all the way through with a few hiatuses uh, due to various factors. On a brief hiatus, he had Gus G, who is actually a Greek uh, guy who has a heavy metal Greek band called Firewind and plays in three or four other bands as well. And he recorded the record Scream with Ozzy. And then I don't know what happened to that, to be perfectly honest with you. 
And then, of course, Zach Wilde came back, and Zach Wilde has pretty much been his guitar player ever since. Having said that, uh, there are some guitar players who played with Ozzy when he's done, like cover records, like he did a record called Undercover, where he was covering a lot of his fa uh, favorite cover tunes, like uh, Mississippi Queen by Mountain, for example. And uh, Jerry Cantrell played with him on that. Uh, and as most people know, Jerry, Jerry Cantrell, Cantrell is the longtime guitar player for Alice in Chains. Uh, when he did the one-off sound uh, song for Beavis and Budhead, Do America, the guy that was playing guitar with him was Joe Holmes, who is uh, usually the guitar player for the metal band Lizzie Borden. Uh, off Ordinary Man and off Patient Number 9, which is his most current release that just got released, I think, a couple of days ago, uh, Andrew Watt. Uh, play guitar on both of those records. He had a lot of people playing on those records, and which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Andrew Watt normally produces Ozzy, uh, but he plays guitar on some of the stuff. Uh, off of Ordinary Man, he also uh, had Slash playing off that, so Slash does some, some cuts off of that. Off his most recent CD, which I said just dropped a couple of days ago, Patient Number 9, really good CD, by the way. He's got Zach Wild playing on it, but he's also got a lot of guest uh, musicians. So he's got uh, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam playing a song off of it. He's got Josh Holm from uh, Queens of the Stone Age playing a song off of it. And then he's got three uh, pretty iconic guitar players. Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath uh, plays a couple of tunes off of it. Uh, and then he's got two somewhat uh, surprising guitar players, surprising only for Ozzy, not because they're not great guitar players. Uh, the first one is Jeff Beck, <laughs> who most people know uh, from Beck, Bogart, and Apathy, and prior to that from the Yardbirds, and then, of course, his solo career. And then the other one people know is Eric Clapton, and he's playing a couple of uh, songs off this, too. And, of course, Eric's also uh, origins are Yardbirds and John Mayall and Cream and Blind Faith, and then a very long solo career. Uh, so, at this latest record he's got has got Zach doing a lot of it, but he's also got these guest people on it. And it's very interesting because the, the guitar is so different, the guitar work is so different, and it really colors the flavor of the tunes uh, that some of them don't... I mean, they sound like Ozzy, but it's just like, well, that's kind of a twist for him. Well, that's because he's got these guest guys like Clapton and Beck and Naomi who have a very, very, very different style than, Jack, than uh, Zach Wilde does. You know, Zach Wall style is, is sort of a, you know, kind of a tapping, squeaking, pin, you know, note pinching type of speed style. And that is definitely not Clapton, Beck, or Iomi. So it's really, really interesting uh, to hear the record. It's a really good record. Uh, I got it the other day. It's a real, I really like it. But it's very uh, atypical. Some of the songs are very, and, and the guitar work is very atypical of Ozzy. But just to give folks kind of this breadth of historical data for Ozzy, because most people know... If they know Ozzy really well, they know they know Randy Rose and they know Zach Wilde. They don't necessarily know all the like interim guys who have kind of played a part in some of this. And then he's had other people play live with him uh, during hiatuses of various guitar players uh, and and doing uh, warm ups for the gigs, doing practices for the gigs, including people like Steve Vai. So he he's uh, <laughs> he's he's been around. So I thought I would kind of do a shout out uh, to him and to the guitarists who've worked with him because he's had some really good ones. And uh, 
still my favorite's Randy Rose. And no offense to Zach because he's a great guitar player, but I just love, 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 love Randy Rose. There'll never be another Randy Rose as far as I'm concerned. For and he just he fits with Ozzy so perfectly. His first records of a Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman are just they they stand up today, just amazingly well. Anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's fantastic. All right, let's have some applause. For you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for that story. I agree with you. Randy is a man of very unique and very valuable talent, and we are yeah, lucky to was, have had him. Yeah, it's really sad because, I mean, he basically – died um, because of, you know, a guy who was trying to commit suicide in a plane, basically. It was not an accident. The, oh. guy, the, guy, intended to, the guy intended to kill himself. Uh, it's just really sad. It's a long story behind that, too, and I won't waste our listeners' time with that. Uh, but it's just, it's just really sad. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, well, uh, thank you for that good tribute. And uh, we will be taking calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight. It's 11.24, so it's a little over a half hour. we got time to talk to you. Please feel free to give us a call. Again, the number is 914-338-0314. All righty, meat and potatoes time. The damage done, gateways to addiction. So in the last few days, I ran across a particular post on social media about addiction. I had a second post. I decided not to include it because it was really starting to get to be a rabbit hole. (laughs) Um, But this particular post that we're using was entitled, How Loss of Hope, Alienation, and Lack of Community Contribute to Addiction. And it started as a Facebook post about a TED Talk which is connected to the somewhat well-known experiment about mice addicted to heroin and how socialization saved them. A lot of people have heard this story. I don't, sometimes it runs around unattributed. This particular post touches on a greater point that we'd like to discuss tonight. So addiction as a desperate coping mechanism is not indicative of a bad person, though many in our society use its presence to deem someone as bad. One way, but by no means the only way, is by validating the notion of such things as, quote, gateway drugs, which is a myth long ago debunked. There is no such thing. Tonight, we want to talk about the very beginnings of the path of addiction and how there are things we can choose to do as individuals and as a society to contribute to breaking that cycle. Interestingly and unintentionally, when we pick the topic, Uh, Today also happens to be National Sober Day, which was just created in 2019 by Real Aligned Women, which is a self-identified sisterhood for sobriety. The initiative is also sponsored by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, otherwise known as SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A, obviously. It is to celebrate sobriety and encourage awareness of addiction issues. So tonight we'll discuss the original referenced article, slash post, the reality of the roots of addiction and avoidant coping behaviors, therapy counterpoints and critiques, and conclusions, closing remarks, and final suggestions. And before we dive in, I'm going to check with you real quick, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything you want to add. 
Nope, I'm good. Thanks. All righty. So the original referenced article slash post. The first post on which this topic was based was based on a post by Johan Hari, H-A-R-I, who gave a TED Talk on addiction based on the work of Bruce Alexander. And I'm going to talk about who those two are just so that you have context about who is qualified to say what here. I think it's important and relevant. So Johan Hari's first book, he's written three, and I'm going to talk about them a tiny bit. Lost Connections, Why You're Depressed and How to Find Hope. His second book, Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. And the latest book he's done, I'm unclear if it was his third or fourth, I could not determine that on the website, is called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. Hari graduated from Cambridge University with the highest degree grade, which is called a double first, in social and political sciences. He grew up in London with a Swiss father who was a bus driver and a Scottish mother who worked in a shelter for victims of domestic abuse. Now, to be fair, so you guys have the true story here, he does not actually have any psychological, medical, or addiction credentials per se and is basically considered a journalist. Now, that being said, his books and TED Talks are gaining in popularity, and he does raise some interesting questions about addiction, depression, alienation, and other mental health issues. Now, he did this well-known TED Talk about the work of Bruce Alexander. So Bruce Alexander is Professor Emeritus, Department of Psychology, Simon Fraser University, and is from Vancouver, uh, Canada. He has taught and conducted research on the psychology of addiction at Simon Fraser University since 1970. He retired from active teaching back in 2005. He wrote the book, A History of Psychology in Western Civilization. So Alexander does have the street cred to be talking about this. And honestly, in some ways, Bruce Alexander is Dr. Mathis, and I'm... Uh, Johan Hari, I suppose, how that works. Okay, so this is commentary about both the TED Talk and Alexander's work. Quote, everything you think you know about addiction is wrong. What really causes addiction to everything from cocaine to smartphones, and how do we overcome it? Johan Hari has seen our current methods fail firsthand as he watched loved ones struggle to maintain their addic- to manage their addictions. Pardon me. He started to wonder why we treat addicts the way we do, and if there might be a better way. As he shares in this deeply personal talk, his questions took him around the world and unearthed some surprising and hopeful ways of thinking about an age-old problem. Quote: Get a rat and put it in a cage and give it two water bottles. One is just water, and one is water laced with either heroin or cocaine. If you do that, the rat will almost always prefer the drugged water and almost always kill itself very quickly, right within a couple of weeks. So there you go. That's our theory of addiction. The quote continues. Bruce came along in the 70s and said, well, hang on a minute. We're putting the rat in an empty cage. It's got nothing to do. Let's try this a little bit differently. So Bruce built what they called Rat Park, 
and Rat Park is like heaven for rats. Everything your rat about town could want, it's got in Rat Park. It's got lovely food. It's got sex. It's got loads of other rats to be friends with. It's got loads of colored balls. Everything your rat could want. And they've got both the water bottles. They've got the drugged water and the normal water. But here's the fascinating thing. In Rat Park, they don't like the drugged water. They hardly use any of it. None of them ever overdose. None of them ever use in a way that looks like compulsion or addiction. There's a really interesting human example I'll tell you about in a minute, but what Bruce says shows that both the right-wing and left-wing theories of addiction are both wrong. So the right-wing theory is it's a moral failing, you're a hedonist, you party too hard. And the left-wing theory is it takes you over, your brain is hijacked. Bruce says it's not your morality, it's not your brain, it's your cage. Addiction is largely an adaptation to your environment. We've created a society where significant numbers of our fellow citizens cannot bear to be present in their lives without being drugged, right? We've created a hyper-consumerist, hyper-individualist, isolated world that is, for a lot of people, much more like that first cage than it is the bonded, connected cages that we need. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And our whole society, the engine of our society, is geared towards making us connect with things, not people. If you're not a good consumer, capitalist citizen, if you're spending your time bonding with the people around you and not buying stuff, in fact, we are trained from a very young age to focus our hopes and our dreams and our ambitions on things we can buy and consume. And drug addiction is really a subset of that. And that is a primer of the TED Talk by Johan Hari about the work of Bruce K. Alexander based on the View from Rat Park 2010, which was written about this experiment. And with this, I'm going to pause and check in with Dr. Mathis and see what he'd like to add. Um, I think environment can certainly contribute to the problem. Uh, my experience with addiction, having treated it since 1983, is that it is a result of some internal issue, whether it's depression, low self-esteem, low self-confidence, isolation, ADHD, cluster B personality disorders, major depression, PTSD, or anxiety disorders, and in some cases, bipolar and schizophrenia. So from my perspective, it is a quote-unquote coping tool to escape and avoid the internal drama. Now, if you get somebody in a community where they have some connection with other people, it can help um, mediate some of that pain, but it's not going to take the pain away because most people with pathologies are going to gravitate towards other people with pathologies, and they're just going to sit there and get high together. And that's, but that's not to say that social connection isn't a good thing and that uh, you know, social support isn't a good thing because it is. It's really good, providing you get social support and connection with people who are trying to live you know, healthy lives, not people who are sitting there getting high together and commiserating. Gotcha. Yes. That, although, you know, to be fair, that, that is somewhat in alignment with the original point. It's a little further down that same road. Yeah, and and that's the part... And we're going to talk about that next section anyway, so that's perfectly fine. Yeah, and and that's the part about, you know, the the 12-step support groups that I really support, no pun intended, is that they 
is that they provide for a change. They provide a social milieu and support system that's really great for folks that are struggling with addictions. The problem is that also comes with the antiquated, already proven to be wrong for the last 50 years disease model, which is totally ludicrous and inaccurate. But the, so, the social support stuff, I totally support. So if somebody can go there and kind of block out all the blah, blah, blah about the disease model and all this kind of crap and just go in there and enjoy the social support and have fun with a bunch of people who are trying to remain sober, I support that like crazy. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, that that is definitely good, and that's in alignment with what we've said on several shows, that you know we're not really in support of the 12-step model because it's based on the disease model, and a lot of its principles are created by people who were not be, you know, they're not mental health professionals. They were two guys struggling with the problem. They were just people. And so, you know, we don't support that. But, yeah, that is the thing we've discussed that works about that model is there's heavy lay people support. You know, if you need to talk at 3 in the morning, the program has a structure for you to be able to have someone you can call if you mm-hmm. need it. And yeah. that does help. You know, even if, if some of the – other stuff, you know, you're powerless. Well, no, you know, you're not powerless. But I don't want this to turn into – we've already done shows ex- expounding on why we feel this way. Um, but that is definitely in alignment with it. All right, anything else you want to bring up before we get to Section 2? I'm good, thanks. Okay, and that's a great segue because now we're going to talk about the reality of the roots of addiction and avoidant coping behaviors. And I will reiterate and expand on some of the things that Dr. Mathis literally just brought up. So as we've discussed numerous times on other episodes, addiction is not clinically a disease. A disease has a definition, definition that addiction doesn't fit. And I know people say this because horrible disease things happen to addicts, but it's not medically correct to say that. Please stop. <laughs> and even if you're someone who has a genetic propensity for engaging in addictive behavior, there is a, a thing in your DNA that makes you more likely to fall for that than other people. But even if that's there, it's not an unalterable life sentence. It's not something you, you just lay down and go, well, you know, my dad and my grandfather and my great-grandfather are all drunk, so, you know, I'm kind of stuck. It was inevitable. That That is not correct. So, yes, with everything we do already know about addiction, it's always a bad choice to go down that path. But judging and shaming depression, loss of hope, loss of self-esteem are quite serious things and not something to weaponize against someone to feel superior about yourself. So many people, even some clinicians, sad to say, make addiction an issue of bad character. And while taking those first steps down the path to an addiction is a poor choice, there are often circumstances leading up to it that can be affected or changed and dissuade many people from going in that direction. So also, as we've said before and just now, there are many kinds of addictions. It's, you know, not just the needle and the spoon. You know, you can be addicted to drugs, alcohol, which is a drug specifically, uh, food, sex, relationships, shopping or compulsive buying, 
religion or other cultural organized activity, hobbies, work, gaming, which we've done an entire episode on, and more. And not, you know, not, obviously not all of them are drugs. Not all of them are things we can stop completely, like food, sex, and work. But any of these can be used as an unhealthy coping mechanism for something missing or broken in someone's life, be it family, friends, recognition, a sense of belonging, a sense of mattering to someone else. In modest amounts, most of us have experienced these over our lives to some extent. But intensely enough and or for long enough, their lack can lead to despair and lack of hope or self-worth, which is the beginning of a path that can lead to addiction. Now, also, sometimes there are other kinds of factors that can create a base that leads to addiction. Trauma is a common one, but it's not the only one. So there could also be ADHD issues, especially if you are misdiagnosed or untreated for long enough. I've known several people like that who have had it really badly, and the clinician dealing with them did not catch it and called it something else, gave them the wrong drugs, gave them the wrong treatment, and they just gave up, tried to self-medicate and made a mess. Uh, Depression, honestly, same situations. (laughs) And depression can be from a variety of sources. It could be biochemical depression or situational depression, like you are having a rough life and you just are giving up hope on it. Um, Things that cause anxiety, and a few other related pathologies that can affect one's sense of self-control, self-esteem, hope, and, you know, ideas of future for your life and related pillars to a place of worth in one's world and community. And it can also be external factors, such as lack of parental and community connection, you know, missing parents, uh, abusive parents, um, no place in your community, like if you are an outcast or pariah, socioeconomic factors. If you are living in poverty and scrambling, you don't have time to take care of yourself in the way that you should before something like this happens. And you know, things like this can also start that cycle. So in summary, there are many reasons one can become addicted. There are many things to which one can become addicted besides drugs. There are many subjective factors that affect why one person copes through addiction and another does not. So please stop using stereotypes and incorrect medical information to shame other people. If you want to contribute to bettering this situation, begin in your own family and community by reconnecting, noticing, and connecting to others. If it's it's a mental health thing, there may be more work to be done, but if someone's got a mental health struggle that could lead to this, you're not going to notice if you're ignoring them or never hanging out with them. That's a very good way for it to fall right through the cracks. So become the reason that somebody else thinks that they matter. And with that, I'm going to check back in with Dr. Mathis for more input. I'm uh, pretty good for right now. Thanks. All right. That actually, it makes me happy only in that I didn't say anything really dumb that needs correcting. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, so the next part we're going to talk about is therapy, counterpoints, and critiques. Um, So there can be many factors that make it difficult to be able to stop this cycle before it gets very far. Many people have problems of their own. Many have pathologies that make them too anxious or socially awkward, and I'm talking about people besides the potential addict. Um, Many have pathologies that make them too anxious or socially awkward to be able to lead 
the right kind of helpful conversation or know what to do. Some people are busy, they're ill in some way, or they live far apart from someone, which makes it harder to be part of their support system in some ways. So the bottom line for both the potential addict and those close to them is that these things are subjective, personal, and complicated to navigate. Until the last couple of decades or so, our society followed, and in many places still follows, the older generation's habit of never revealing any weaknesses, problems, or concerns. It's one of the reasons when I'm on social media that I'm so uh, outgoingly forthright about what's going on with me because I want people to see that and not be ashamed to have a mental health issue, you know, trying to destigmatize it, and also to make it clear that sometimes people can deal with what happens. Uh, Some people have never seen someone successfully cope with it, so they need to see that. Sometimes other people can become afraid of what will happen if they reach out. Some addicts can become a danger to others, even in things like financial crisis or inability to tend to basic needs like their housing or keeping a job or resorting to harmful and dishonest behaviors to cover all that up. And, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. I don't assume that of anybody, but the fear of that sometimes makes people not be more of a support system because they're worried about what will happen. You know, I've stolen my grandmother's ring to pay for drugs or food because I screwed up and I have no money for food. If you are at risk, make an attempt to connect to something or someone new that may provide a sense of belonging or accomplishment, such as a group event or hobby of interest. Choose to become more transparent about your feelings and needs with a trusted friend or partner. And and again, I know it's more easily said than done, but nevertheless, make the effort because you might connect to somebody and then you can start being honest with what's going on with you and then you can get help. Sometimes the, quote, fake it till you make it method, end quote, can help if you give it a sincere try. Choose a couple areas in your life you'd like to change. Pick something easy or simple. Don't pick something that can be too complex or insurmountable because otherwise you run the risk of blowing it and then you'll be depressed and spiral further. So pick something small that you can manage to chew. And when you pick your thing, just lean into it, whether by your appearance, where you spend your time, or with whom you spend it. You know, if you, um, Dr. Mathis mentioned earlier, Surrounding yourself with people who are living positive and healthy lives, there's a great place to start. Take a look at your friends and, you know, whatever family you're interacting with locally. What are they about? What are they accomplishing? Are they connecting and making, you know, lifting people up, that sort of thing, or are they falling apart already? Because what you surround yourself with tends to heavily influence where you're going. Even if you're having a hard time, if you're surrounded by supportive people, it kind of rubs off. I mean, it's sort of a fake it till you make it thing comes in. You may not feel very supportive or healthy, but if all your friends are doing it, it makes a difference. So go seek that out, and when you have the opposite in your life, get rid of it if you can. If you have trouble deciding what to do or feel like nothing will help, pick a trusted buddy and talk over with them some possibilities. Some of this may just sound like a feel-good t-shirt slogan. I get it. But the science behind it all supports that such choices have a good chance of arresting a downward spiral. 
And at this point, Dr. Mathis, um, question for you. Do you have any specific further advice, either for people who are at risk of falling down into addiction or to those someone close to someone who is or might be? Well, yeah. What I would say is, you know, if you come from a, from a genetic uh, loading of addiction like I do, for example, you have to make a decision early just not to go down that path, not even risk it. And that's part of the reason why I've never been drunk, I've never been stoned, I've never tried drugs. It's just it's too much of a risk, and it's a choice, and everybody has a choice. And make the choice to not go down that path. If you have already gone down that path or if you're considering going down that path because you're in a bad time in your life or you know somebody that's having a bad time or they have an undiagnosed condition, you know, whether it's depression or whatever, or you know you're depressed or anxious or ADHD or whatever, go get some help. Find somebody who's a competent clinician who can accurately diagnose you. And, you know, I'm going to hearken back to my, you know, getting on my soapbox about testing. I mean, I, I just finished doing a results conference today with a family whose uh, family member has been in and out of, of hospitals and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And ask me how many tests this person has ever been given. Yeah, none until they call me. And I put this person through a big battery, and this person's in a, a, struggling with addiction. And for them, it's an escape avoidant tool for the plethora of disorders they fall under. And it's really sad because this person was struggling since this person was like, I don't know, 17 or 18. This person's in his mid-30s. I, I had to go to a hospital to see another person uh, this week, this earlier last week, excuse me, last week and later last week, uh, who's been in four or five hospitals in the last couple of months, and not a single hospital has given this person any testing, but they th sure did throw a lot of drugs at him, serious drugs. And I, I say to people again, go to a competent clinician who does his or her own testing and get tested. Find out the core of what's causing the problem and address the problem directly. Don't cover it up through sex and drugs and rock and roll, <laughs> right? or shopping, or becoming, you know, saved, or whatever. I mean, address the problem. Stop escaping and avoiding. Don't do the geographic cure, which is what's uh, known in the addiction businesses. Hey, I can't get, I, you know, I'm, I'm, tr I'm tempted to use drugs here in Atlanta. I know too many people who use drugs. I'm going to move to another city where I don't know anybody that uses drugs, you know, like Miami. And, and I'm not kidding. I had somebody tell me that very thing one time, and I just kind of, I, I couldn't help it. I started laughing. It was so ludicrous. I'm like, you don't know anybody yet, but I guarantee you within a week of moving to Miami, you will know every freaking person who uses drugs and sells drugs within a three-block radius because you really want somebody else to do the work for you. And there is no uh, shortcut to this. I mean, if you have an issue, you have to face it directly and you have to, you know, just grit your teeth and do what it takes to get over it and get as much healthy social support as you can and talk to people who know what they're doing, who have training and credentials in addictions and whatever, and get tested, find out what's wrong with you, and start hitting the bricks before you get too late. So let me ask so you me this. Ask if, if, oh, whoop, I can hear myself a little bit. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so there are a lot of people who've already started getting into bad things and you want to be able to get them to start choosing, even though it's been a mess. You know, people don't ask the right questions up front. They don't do the right things up front. So we're a little right. bit dirty, but they're still, they're still reachable. 
maybe right. they've made a mess to where they don't have a good job situation, so they don't have good insurance, so they, Medicaid doesn't pay for the good doctors, as I can tell you. Oh, my God. Um, right. What would you well, say the, the to them? I... Like, okay, you know, when you tell them, you know, find a good person, what are they looking for and what's available to someone who may ah. not have, like, good insurance, that sort of thing? What do they want to find? Well, the per, for example, the person that I just did a recommendation conference from that I did full battery testing at Yada, they paid out of pocket. They don't have insurance either. They well, they have Mangle Care insurance, and Mangle Care doesn't pay for testing by and large. Uh, they paid out of pocket. Now, the, of course, the better question, you know, the, the follow-up to that is, okay, so let's say you have somebody that doesn't have the money to pay out of pocket, right? then you find the best person you can possibly find that you can afford and or somebody who maybe is on your insurance panel if you have managed care who could do a consultation with somebody uh, who is not on your list or whatever or who's an expert and you may only need to you know get a consultation from that other person but you've got to get testing and most insurance companies don't pay for testing that's that's the problem whether you have you know, quote-unquote, real insurance, indemnity-type insurance, or whether you have managed care insurance, most insurance companies don't pay for testing. Every now and then, you'll get an, I'll, I'll be shocked, and an insurance company will come across and pay for the testing, and I'm always shocked in a pleasant way when that happens. But th that's the problem with most people, because the testing's expensive, you know? Uh, but so yeah. is your life. You know, so is your life. You know, and now are you going to go through life becoming a human guinea pig, and having people guess, do you have this, do you have this, do you have this? So it's really important to find somebody who is competent, preferably who will be on your insurance panel or somebody who your insurance will reimburse if you, if you have, you know, some, a lot of insurance companies, like if you have a, a PPO, a preferred provider, uh, or um, I forgot what the other one is. I forget all the little dillies. But basically, if you have HMO? one, will let you go. No, HMO is the one will not let you go out of out of network. Uh, the PPO oh, yeah, and the, yeah, and the POS point of service. Those are the two oh, that will let right, you yeah. that'll go out of network, and they'll pay something for an out of network guy like me. So preferably, the first step is to try to get as good insurance as you can. And if you don't have insurance or you're not going to use insurance, then you know save up the money. And go to somebody. It's an investment in yourself. You know, you, you you won't buy if you can afford to buy a better car to last longer. That's what you should do. You shouldn't, you know, tinkle your money away on a, a piece of crap car that's not going to last you very long. This is important stuff. You know, and I know people who borrow money, and there's a gentleman who just did that recently who went in and got a loan so that gentleman could afford to pay me for, for my services and got full battery testing and found out what was wrong with me with them. And now they're going to go to somebody in their network to get therapy because they can't afford to do the therapy and the testing. But now they've got empirical data that says, hey, I don't have this. I have this and this, and this is what I need. And they can then advocate for themselves and go to somebody and say, this is the kind of stuff I need. You know, and if you can consult and get some naturopathic kinds of ways to deal with your mental issues that are causing you to go down the addiction road or maybe have already done that, <clears throat> excuse me, because all psychotropic drugs in general don't cure a dying thing. All they do is put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. 
and you don't want that. And they all have side effects, and you don't want that either. So, I mean, it's, you know, the sooner you can tackle this, the better. The, the person that I saw tonight, the family I saw tonight, this, this guy has been in and has relapsed multiple times. So this is not this person's first relapse. And it's possible after, you know, I've seen people do, you know, 15 or 20 relapses and finally get a clue that they, they can't be doing this anymore. And then they go in and get real treatment. And they're very successful. I mean, I'm, I'm working with a guy right now who's done that. And he's really taken the bull by the horns and done what he needed to do. And I, you know, I have nothing but respect for that. And this is a person who was, uh, <laughs> who has a very colorful history. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Uh, of, of both using and dealing that, you, drugs. You yeah. Come, come out I mean, most later. of the folks I see are very complicated. They're not, oh, I got depressed and I drank too much alcohol for a year or two and I'm kind of an alcoholic and now I need to stop and get tra- I mean, This is, Most of my cases are polysubstance abusers. You know, they're, they're eight, seven, six, seven, eight drugs. You know, what's your drug of choice? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. What day is it? Or, you know, what time in the month? <laughs> yeah, really. It, you know. That, and, and I've had people tell me, I don't care. I just want to get, I just want to get out of it. I don't care. I don't, you know, I, I drink alcohol because it's cheap and easy. I don't like the taste of it, but it does the job, which is to, you know, numb me like lidocaine, as I like to uh, call it, which yeah, is my yeah. cute little uh, thing for rocking you like a hurricane. Yeah. Numb me like a hurricane. It was a dad joke. I got it. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my horrible Klaus Mine imitation. Uh, but oh, yeah. Boy. You know, and, and whether it's gambling or work or whatever, I mean, I mean, a really good buddy of mine for many years used work to escape and avoid his emotional stuff. Yeah. And it was just as much an addiction as cocaine or gambling or whatever. And I mean, and would literally work himself into the ground and knew he was doing it. And I said, you know, you're not getting anywhere except closer to the grave doing that shit. Your hair's falling out. You know, your back and legs are giving you all kind of trouble. You're having all these... Allergy responses and stuff. That's your body saying, help me, I'm di- you're, you're killing me here. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's sad. It's really sad, you know. Gotcha. So, you and know, if you with know that somebody, in mind. Oh, I was going to say, if you, know, if you know somebody, family, friend, relative, whatever, talk to them and try to get them to get help. And don't. Be the critical parent talking to them. Be the supportive parent or the good friend or the loving, you know, person. Don't don't shame them. Don't criticize. You know, talk to. I mean, you got to be real. You know that they're mucking up their lives. But there's a way to say, hey, you're mucking up your life in a way they can hear you and a way not to say it that's going to shame them or scold them. And that you don't want to do. That. You know, we all yeah. make mistakes. We're all human. We all foobar. You know, and I and I frequently have brought up, and I've said this before, I frequently brought up the incident recently in my own life where, you know, uh, I thought the murder hornet and the murder, murder hornet won. <laughs> you know? and, and oh, boy. About, you know, and I talk about my own stupidity and my own not managing my stuff. And we, everybody does it at some point to some degree. It's just you've got to learn from your mistakes and grow and move forward. That's the best yeah. any of us can do. All right. With that in mind, do you have any conclusionary remarks, closing remarks, or final suggestions that we haven't already touched on? I would just say get an accurate diagnosis. They get an accurate assessment of what's going on with you because addiction mm-hmm. is a symptom. 
It's a symptom of something, yeah. whether it's unhappiness, low self-esteem, uh, existential questions, social isolation, uh, ADHD, whatever, right? Find out what's driving the engine and solve the core problem because if you solve the core problem, the other stuff or problems, the other stuff goes away because the other stuff is just a symptom. It's an escape avoidant. It's, it's the, and in the case of drugs or alcohol, it's what I call the Monsanto approach, better living through chemistry. No. <laughs> <Yeah. Nope. laughs> okay, okay, yeah, right. that makes sense. Definitely. Right. And, and you don't want to do that. Okay. So, you know, I, I think that's pretty clear. Hopefully any of our listeners that are dealing with this are in a position to do that. And, and quite honestly, quite bluntly, if you are in a position in your life. I actually have a couple friends like this where I really don't know how to help them other than for them to value themselves enough to go ask to get help. You know, some of them yeah. don't have much family structure or even a friend structure or money structure to get help. But do something. Just go to somebody you trust. There's got to be one human that you can say yeah. this to. You know, I'm yep. struggling. I don't. I don't have money. I don't have things. But everything is falling to shit. What do I do? You don't have to know. You have to be brave enough to let someone you trust know. And then we'll do the next part. And, you know, message us on the page. And honestly, we can at least kind of listen to your situation and make suggestions if no one around you is going to. You know, we can do that. You know, right. not trying to make money off your pain or anything, but, you know, if there are no humans around you to participate in this, then bring it to the page and we will try to guide you as best we can because someone needs to. That's the whole point. That's why we do what we do here. You Absolutely. Know, some people don't have anybody saying this to them. So, you know, we'll say it. <laughs> Bluntly. So, all right. It's getting close to midnight and this concludes our show the Damage Done, Gateways to Addiction. Uh, Dr. Mathis, is there anything else you want to bring up in closing before we wrap this up? I'm good, thanks. All righty. So on behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis, and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation to those of you who might be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, etc. So we'll see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion. Wednesday, September 28th, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com. We also want to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. Travelich Radio, tomorrow night, Thursday the 15th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Mesa is home to Chicago Cubs Spring Training. The Mysterious Superstition Mountains, a new Arizona State University campus, and a Beers and Brews passport tour that blends the best of both. Travelitch Radio spotlights the area, emphasizing foodie and adventure options. When Zoe Shircel, S-H-I-R-C-E-L, of Visit Mesa, joins Travelitch Radio on Thursday the 15th. Listen live as Dan Schlossberg and co-host Mary Ellen Nugent Lee ask Zoe about the Fresh Foodie Trail, which features a 300-acre peach farm, an artisan sourdough bakery, and Arizona's only working olive farm, plus ways to explore old mining towns and stagecoach stops along the Apache Trail. Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. 
The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning. This is hosted on StreamYard. Check the NDB Media Facebook page for links and times. Please join me this Sunday, the Tales of the Walking Dead online viewing party, Season 1, Episode 6, the season finale, the 18th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The episode is called La Dona, and the official AMC synopsis is a haunting tale of an apocalypse-traumatized couple who may or may not be tormented by a haunted house. Frightening memories coupled with inexplicable phenomena in the house take a toll on the couple's psyche and their relationship. And by the way, Walking Dead classic final eight episodes ever returns Sunday, October 2nd, so we will have a break on the 25th. There's going to be a special show, but I'll get into that later. Monday Night in America with Roger Noriega, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Roger Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history. Currently also hosted on StreamYard. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Fandom Access Week in Review. Join the creative critics Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they tackle another night of TV. Recent hot takes have included Westworld, Moonhaven, Paper Girls, American Horror Stories, and whatever else sounds good. Please look for The Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, <coughs> pardon me, on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much for your patience tonight, and rock on. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.